Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Anybody want to see a greater manifestation of the presence, power, and glory of God in your life? Amen. Even among us as a church body of believers? Hallelujah. Then we've got to do something to set the stage for that to take place. It's our responsibility to do that. And I want to share a little bit tonight about some steps that we can take in order to achieve that. And it's going to begin by girding up the loins of our mind. We've got to change our mindset, the way we think. And we'll talk about that a little bit, and then we'll share some more things down the road. But I don't know about you, but I want to have a greater manifestation of the presence and power of God in our midst. What about you? Hallelujah. I know I do, and praise God, I believe that you do. And we believe for great and mighty things as his glory manifests among us. Let's look at the book of Exodus and chapter 12 and verse 11. This is called gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, this is when the Israelites were about to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. And they were going to, of course, set their course for the promised land and enter into the promised land. But before they left, this is what they were told to do. The Lord spake to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Hey, that's not the right verse. Verse 11. But he gave them instruction, and the instruction was before that they were to leave, they were to celebrate the Passover meal. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded. Notice the expression, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Hmm. Okay. Man is a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. With our spirit, we access the spiritual realm that we live in. With our souls, we access the intellectual and emotional realm. And then with our bodies, we contact the physical realm. When you and I were born again, what happened was our spiritual condition changed and we became children of God. Old things passed away, all things became new. We have the life and nature of God on the inside of us. But the soul needs to be dealt with and the body needs to be dealt with, even though we've been saved. Now the body, we are told, needs to be crucified by the Apostle Paul, who spent a lot of time beating up his own flesh. And I believe he meant that he was going to crucify it at some point. But anyhow, that's what he had to do and says we all have to do. Keep your flesh in check. Keep it under. Don't allow it to do what it wants to do, to live the way it wants to live, because it's a rebel. It will rebel against you and, and take you down a wrong path. So the flesh needs to be dealt with. But it's also true that the soul needs to be dealt with. The soul needs to be restored, brought back to a place where man had the knowledge of God. We lost that in the fall. But thank God, because he gave us his holy written word, we can once again be restored. As the psalmist said, he restores my soul. He takes it back to a place of understanding, of learning, things that I need to know. Well, what's that got to do with uh, these people coming out of Egypt? Well... This, when 
he gave those instructions. Those instructions seemingly were somewhat a crazy request. Who likes to eat their meal in haste? Anytime I ever was found eating too fast, my parents would say, slow down. There's time. You're going to get indigestion and so on and so forth. Well, these were told, have your loins girt, have your staff in your hand, have your sandals on your feet, and get ready to go. He was going to lead them out of Egypt in a quick way and take them into the promised land. And they had to be prepared or they had to be ready for their departure. Well, if you understand the dynamics behind what he was saying, it won't seem like a crazy request for them to do what he said. See, their cloaks were long cloaks. And they had probably fringes at the bottom of the cloaks. And they were wonderful for lounging around the house, watching some television, listening to a radio broadcast. Who knows what they were doing during that time? But it was a time that in the evening time, they would relax in their cloaks or their robes. But when it came time for them to work or for them to fight, it wasn't a good thing. See, they had to either take them off and lay them aside or they had to tuck them into their belt so that they could get around and move. So if they were going to work or fight, they would take them off, obviously. But if they were just going to lounge around, then they would have them on. Well, because they were going to be leaving in a hurry, he told them, make sure that you tuck those robes into your belt. Because... After you're done eating and God moves, we're out of here. Get ready to run. We're going to get delivered from Egypt bondage and we're going to race toward the promised land. Now think about it. 430 years they've been in bondage. What's going to make this night any different than any other night that they experienced? Well, they trusted in what Moses said. They believed that God was using him to deliver them. Let's say, through faith, got ready to get themselves out and enter into this place called the promised land. And they set on their journey. Look at First uh, Peter and look at chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Notice the same expression. But notice he's not talking about robes. He's talking about the mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter uses that same expression, but in reference to your mind, to my mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, do something about the way you think. Because the way you think will either help you get into your promised land or prevent you from getting into your promised land. Do something, you could say it this way, oftentimes we do, about your stinking thinking. Because you see, they were in slavery for all those years. And they were taught 
to have a slavery mentality. And they were bound by the way they thought. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4 now. Remember chapter 3 talks about them not getting into the promised land because of the way they thought. Their unbelief stopped them from entering in. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They didn't see themselves as children of God who he said he would get them in. So it says here, for there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Are we the people of God tonight? There's a place of rest for us to enter into. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor. The word labor there means use speed. Therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So now here we see Peter picking up on that same expression and he says, look, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. The moment you come out of the world and you get saved, you've got to use speed to labor to get it into the rest that God has provided for us in Christ. So the big challenge is once we get saved is to get rid of the way we used to think before we got saved and as a brand new babe in Christ desire the sincere milk of the word so that we can begin to grow thereby. But notice he says, use speed, labor. Set out to get there as quickly as you possibly can. Because as the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites as they were going toward the promised land, so the enemy is chasing us down, wanting us to do what? To continue bow to him. To continue doing things that we used to do so that he can still rule over our lives. Now notice he says what to do. It's the word of God that we need to tuck into our belts. So that we can, through the word of God, overpower the enemy. And overcome all the obstacles that he puts in our way. So that we could finally get into our land of promise. It was the power of God that brought them out. It was the glory of God through signs and wonders that carried them through all, throughout the wilderness and part of the Red Sea. And they got to a place where they crossed the Red Sea and looked back. And when they did, of course, they saw the enemy defeated. And Miriam brought out the tambourine and Miriam began to rejoice. And they were so glad. You see, their soulish realm was so satisfied Playing the tambourine, worshiping, coming up with the song, the horse and rider has he drowned into the sea. God brought us out. God delivered us. Thank God for emotionalism. But emotionalism is not of the spirit. It's of the soulish part of man. And even though we can be excited and enthusiastic about those things, we've got to have a stronger, greater, more stable foundation than just emotionalism. I mean, I thank God for the Holy Ghost goosebumps, just like you do. Anybody here thank God for the Holy Ghost goosebumps? It's wonderful to have those goosebumps. We know the presence of God is manifesting among us. But there needs to be stability in the word of God. 
And because they did not act in faith on the word of God as they began to trek toward the promised land, they were kept out. See, the glory that got them out, the glory that protected them in the, in the wilderness, and the glory that was about to take them into the promised land, it's the same glory, but because they refused to act in faith, the glory was not manifested to bring down the walls under the leadership of Moses. And so they couldn't get in. And beloved, even though that tremendous glory that was in manifestation is a wonderful thing, I believe the greatest manifestation of the glory of God would have been in the promised land where God would manifest himself in such a way as to do what? In that land, he says, I'll be an enemy to your enemy. I'll be an adversary to your adversary. I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of you and the number of your days I will fulfill. He went on to say that he would be a, a manifested presence right there among them throughout their days in the promised land. And he basically would protect them from all this that's out there in the world. What a beautiful place to be in. Wouldn't you agree? A place where there's no sickness and no disease. Wonderful place to be in. Well, the problem was he couldn't get them to give up their slavery mentality. He couldn't get them to start thinking differently about their relationship with God and his relationship with them. See, they were slaves. And because they were slaves, they had slavery mentality. Their thinking was off. Their thinking was wrong. And that's all they can think of is them being victims and that sort of thing. And so throughout the wilderness, what did they do? They kept crying out, you brought us out here to die. Would to God we go back into Egypt? Would to God we go back there we were taken care of? And he wasn't pleased with them at all. And he said to them, you saw my presence, you saw my power, you saw my glory. But because you would not believe my word, you're not going to gain entrance into the promised land. And that should speak volumes to each and every one of us because in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, we've been told that we've been warned that a promise left us of entering into the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. We would come short of it because we wouldn't mix faith with the gospel. God wants to manifest his glory. His glory saved us. His glory brought us out of darkness. And praise God, his glory wants to usher us all the way through this life and manifest in a greater way throughout our lifespan until finally we go off into the complete glory that he has for us for serving him. And we're talking about being changed. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, we see Paul picking up on the same thing. And really, he brings even more clarity to it. Stand therefore. He's talking about the believer's walk. He's talking about after all the things in the first few chapters where he talks about our blessings. He talks about our duties and responsibilities. He now says, look, you've got to have a problem with the enemy. The enemy is designed to destroy you. That's his plan and purpose and will. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might because you're going to have to face the wiles of the devil when you get out and start trekking towards your promised land. So stand there for. And the first thing he says about your stand, my stand, stand having your loins girt about with truth. Now we focus in on what he's talking about. He's using the same expression Moses did, the same expression Peter did. But now he's saying, look, your loins need to be girt about with truth and having on. Then he goes and names all the different particular uh, armor of the believer. It's really the armor of God that we're clothed with. But he's saying that you've got to tuck your loins of your mind into the truth of God's word so that you can stand against the opposition that's going to come against you in this life. The wiles of the devil. So. 
when he's referring to loins here, it's also referring to the reproductive uh, part of, of a man's life and a woman's life, what we reproduce. And so basically what he's saying is this, the mind of man, because of his fallen state, was a breeding ground for doubt, unbelief, fear, worry, anxiety, frustration, and the list goes on, discouragement, despair. It just goes on and on and on. So he is saying that, look, because you've come out with that kind of a mindset, it's important that you gird up the loins of your mind by tucking your mind into the truth of God's word so that you can have a renewed mind and allow God to do in your life what he wants to do by acting upon his word and exalting it above the way you used to think. But of course, after 430 years of slavery, what happened? When they came out, they were a breeding ground for doubt, unbelief, worry, fear, fretting, and all that. And under Moses' leadership, he couldn't get them to change that. No matter how hard he tried, no matter how hard God tried, no matter how hard Joshua tried and Caleb tried, could not get them to, to really get rid of the way they thought because their minds were a breeding ground to produce all those wrong things. But after 40 years, thanks be to God for men like Joshua and Caleb. After 40 years, God then uses Joshua and Caleb to teach them some things whereby he would raise up a new breed of people that would not be a breeding ground for doubt and unbelief, the mind of breeding ground for all that, but a breeding ground for faith, for love, for joy, for the things, the positive things of God. And I kind of thought this through. Okay, 40 years he's got. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. They're licking their wounds. They watched all their parents die in the wilderness. They're 20 years old and up at the beginning of this 40-year period. And so there they are, and they're being schooled, let's say, by Joshua, who was called by God to take over the leadership and to train them or teach them in the things that they needed to know so that God can raise up this new breed and get them into the place where he wanted to manifest his glory in their lives. So what happens? I pulled out seven things in Joshua chapter 5 and 6 that revealed to us the things that they were taught by Joshua so that their minds could be renewed and become a breeding ground for faith. And I thought about this. If we're going to overcome Satan's fiery darts and the challenges that come along our way, then we too need to be established in the truth that will enable us to rise up above those thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, bring them into captivity, deny their right to reproduce in our lives ever again so that we can have the manifested presence of God, the power of God, the, the work of God in our lives. Now, I figured out this. If you divide 40 by 7, I can imagine this. 5.7 years on each subject. Wouldn't it be some if you had 5.7 years to just take this one subject and teach it? Just humor me just for a while this evening and follow me 
Follow with me through this. The first thing that he taught them for 5.7 years. You think it would get inside our hearts in 5.7 years? Your enemies defeated. Your enemies defeated. That's what Joshua taught them. Your enemy is defeated. What were they afraid of under Moses? There's an enemy out there. Oh, there's the Amorites. There's the Jebusites. There's the uh, Canaanites. There's the termites. There's all these different ites out there. And they're afraid of them. They can't get into the promised land because all those ites are out there. You see their mentality. You see their focus. You could see they have low self-esteem. You can see they have low self-worth. You see they have no confidence in their relationship with God. And they don't know. So, can you imagine taking these 20-year-olds and start right there? Your enemies defeated. Your enemies defeated. For 5.7 years, your enemy is defeated. He has no power over you. He's been rendered powerless. Did you not see them dead in the Red Sea? Did you not see that they cannot any way, in any way harm you? And even those that go before you, that God took care of them in the past and God will take care of them in the future. If you just but listen and believe and act upon his word, your enemy is defeated. Well, beloved, I've got some great news for us and I pray you can get it across to all of us in less than 5.7 years. Our enemy has been defeated. Can you say with me, my enemy's defeated. Satan has been defeated by the power of the living God when God raised Jesus from the dead he stripped him as of authority he stripped him of his power and he has no longer any right to rule over the any child of God in any way we need to renew our minds to the fact no matter what the enemy is our enemy has been defeated Satan has been defeated sin has been defeated sickness has been defeated lack has been defeated List anything, all enemies, all demons, all demonic powers and influences, they've all been defeated by Jesus. When he was raised up from the dead, what did he say? I am he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys, the keys, the authority, the power over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. I have the authority. I'm the conqueror over it all. So our enemy has been defeated. And so for 5.7 years, he probably preached the same message. Well, then the second message he preached after your enemy is defeated is that you have a covenant with God. Now imagine for the next 5.7 years, he's teaching them you have a covenant with God. So let's take the time to go all the way back to the beginning, folks, because I got a lot of time to teach this subject. Now you know your enemy is defeated. It's in your heart now. You know it. That means anyone that they would ever face in the future, they face them as defeated foes. Can you see that? I mean, that's ingrained in them now. They've renewed their minds. They've girded up the loins of their minds with this fact, with this truth. Their enemies defeated no matter who it is. Now you've got a covenant with God. You have got a gird up the loins of your mind with this truth. Tuck the loins of your mind into the belt of this truth, what is it? You've got a covenant with God. Let's go all the way back to your founding fathers. Let's go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go back and let me remind you. You see where you're at? This isn't all about you. As a matter of fact, 
It's all about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those patriarchs of old, your fathers of old that had a covenant with God. God appeared to Abraham in the day, and he said to him, Abram, Abram was his name then, walk up around me and be, be sincere before me, and I'll make my covenant with you and your seed after you, and so on and so forth. And so on that day, I'm sure he explained this to them, God Almighty, who visited Abraham, when Abraham said to him, how will I know I can trust you? How will I know I can believe you once I surrender my heart, my will, and I give myself totally to you? How do I know that you will do what you said you would do? And God says, get me some animals. He got some animals to sacrifice. He split them down the middle, put them in a trough, which is called the walk of blood. And he caused a deep sleep to come upon him, and he opened up his spiritual eyes, and he saw God Almighty walking the walk of blood. And when he walked the walk of blood, he's saying, I swear by myself. There's no higher being to swear by. I swear by myself. You can trust me because I'm swearing by myself. You see, men swear by the greater. Men swear by God. In the court of law, they swear by God, but God is God. So God has to say, I swear by me, by myself. And Abraham saw this happen. When he walked the walk of blood, they pronounced the blessings and the curses of keeping the covenant. And so God entered into a covenant with your father, Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And because you have a covenant with him, he's been gracious to you. And he's the one that's going to get you into this promised land because he's going to keep his oath. And once God swears by an oath, his covenant will he not break or alter the word that's gone out of his mouth. He has bound himself and his sovereignty to his word, to his covenant, and he will not act in any other way. You could depend on him to do what he said he would do because he's not a man to lie or the son of man to repent. What he says he does, what he speaks, he will make good. So you have a covenant. Well, I've got news for us today, tonight. I pray it doesn't take me 5.7 years to get this across to all of us. We have a better covenant established upon better promises in Hebrews 8 and verse 6. A better covenant. No matter what they had, we've got something better. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Yes, see, under that covenant, they were servants of the Most High God. Under this covenant, we are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. Under the old covenant, you see, they had, they had kings, they had priests, and they had prophets. But praise God Almighty, every child of God is a king and a priest before Almighty God. Can you say amen? Yeah, they had their sins covered uh, for a season from one year to the next year. But your sin, my sin, has been remitted by the blood of Jesus Christ. It no longer exists, praise God Almighty. We've got a better covenant established upon better promises and if each of us will walk in the light of the covenant, praise God, we can expect God to keep his word and do what he said he was going to do. And so in other words, he's telling them, look, you're going to get into that promised land because God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not about you people. It's about what God did with him. Well, beloved, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And God the Father made a covenant with Jesus the Son. And he entered that covenant for, for all mankind. And when he did, they negotiated the terms of the covenant. And guess what? Everybody is welcome. Whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And enter into that covenant of blood. So that's number two. So, so number one, we see our enemies defeated. And number two, we have a covenant with the Most High God. And praise God, this is important. Remember 
It's not in detail there for you, but remember where you were. He says, remember where you are and remember how you got out. In other words, remember where you came from is what he was teaching them for 5.7 years. Their enemies defeated. They got a covenant with God. And for 5.7 years, you were slaves in Egypt. As slaves in Egypt, you had no rights. You were oppressed. You were crying out to God for deliverance. And do you think that Moses brought you out? Well, God used Moses, but it wasn't Moses who brought you out. Recall next to this chapter 32, when God got angry with the children of Israel and he blamed Moses for getting them out and said, they're your children and you brought them out of Egypt. And then Moses turned back on God and said, no, they're not my children. They're your children and you brought them out yourself. They don't belong to me. God was so upset with them. God Almighty brought them out with an outstretched hand, uh, arm and in hand, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He brought them out of Egypt by a series of staggering miracles that brought the Egyptian regime down to the ground. Shook them like they'd never been shaken before. And so they let them go. So remember, people, where you were, slaves in Egypt. Remember where you're at right now. You're at the brink of the promised land. You're at the edge of entering into the, the most wonderful life you could ever imagine. Remember how you got out. By the hand of Almighty God, you got out. And by the hand of Almighty God, you'll get in. So in other words, don't look to yourself. Don't depend on yourself. Look to Him, the one who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Well, I've got news for all of us. Someone got us out. Did you get yourself out? Let me give you an example. You and I, we were chained, bound in the realm of spiritual death and darkness. We were part of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom. He had jurisdiction over every single one of our lives. He had us nailed to the floor, so to speak, chained, fettered. And we were his. We were there. We were bound in sin. Bound by the law of sin and death. We were bound by everything the kingdom of darkness gives. Our minds were messed up. Our bodies were being attacked. We had no way of escape. And we were on a downward spiral into the kingdom of, of, of the lake of fire and darkness forever and ever and ever. Religion tried to come along to get us out didn't do a thing for us good work tries to get us out it doesn't do a thing for us i just want you to know that one day god saw us chained up and bound in that state that we were in the spiritual death and sin we were slaves just like they were slaves in egypt and because he saw there is nothing that could pry us out of that place of being under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness he sent his son from heaven above who came to this earth who went to a cross, who suffered and died, and then after he paid the penalty for our sin, he was raised up by the dead, from the dead by the glory of the Father. And when God raised him up from the dead, praise God, everyone's chains were loosed. Everyone that was bound was free. Everyone that was 
overcome by the powers of darkness are now in the light. And guess what? Satan, with all his effort, energy, all his demon hosts, could not hold your ankle down and keep you under his jurisdiction. He delivered us. Jesus delivered us from the powers of darkness. He pulled us out, praise God, from the miry clay. And he placed us in the kingdom of light where we are now the children of light, the children of God under the jurisdiction of the, the Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to do what? We need to tuck the loins of our mind into that truth and say, I am no longer bound by the law of sin and death. I've been set free and I operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God for what Jesus has done for me. Next, for five and a half years, he, they were taught, it's a new day. It's a new day. See, manna stopped at that time. Look, you guys have been fed manna for 40 years. You've watched for 40 years manna come down from heaven. You've watched water come out of a rock for 40 years. But you know what? Now you saw quail. Waist high as far as the eye can see. But I want you to know something. We're embarking upon a new day. You see, we're not going to need that because when we get into the promised land, there are great clusters so big it takes two men to put them on a pole and carry them. Everything in that place is absolutely phenomenal. There's food to eat, water to drink. It's all there. My presence will be there. And all this land that flows with milk and honey will belong to you. You can live in it. You can enjoy it, And you can entice other people to come. You can proselyte and get other people to know that our God reigns. He's the living God, maker of heaven and earth. They were supposed to evangelize the world around them. But you see, they didn't do that. Okay, so it's a new day. Well, beloved, it's a new day for us. It's a new day for believers also. Jesus said before he went back to the earth, in that day you asked me nothing. Up until this point, you've asked me nothing. But in that day, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. He's talking about the day when there would be a new relationship between God and man. That man would be reconciled to God by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, he has the right, the authority, and the privilege to become the sons of the living God and use the name above every other name to transact business for himself and God upon this earth. And so he's saying it's a brand new day. And in this time, in this day in which we live, you have a wonderful relationship with God and you cannot be defeated if you tuck your, the loins of your mind into the belt of this truth and begin to embrace what it means. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in this day than any other day on this earth. This is a wonderful time to be alive. Thank God we have so much in Christ. Why? Because of all that he did for us in redemption. It's the day of redemption. It's the day when God and man are reconciled together. Next, for the next five and a half years, he teaches them, look, you're not alone. You are not alone. This is Joshua teaching the people, you are not alone. There was the captain of the host of the army of the living God who appeared. And of course, Joshua inquired of him and found out that he was on their side. This captain of the host of the army of the living God was on their side. So in other words, look, don't be concerned about how you're going to get in. Don't think you have to do it on your own. 
It's not by your efforts. The captain of the host of the army of the living God. Well, beloved, we're not alone. Before Jesus left this realm, he said to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Before he left this realm, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter, one just like I am. And when he comes, he is the Holy Ghost. He's going to guide you on all the truth. He's going to speak to you what he hears of the Father. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to glorify me. He's going to reveal some things to you about me. He's going to be your travel guide throughout this realm, throughout this life. He's going to empower you. He's going to enlighten you. He's going to anoint you, appoint you. He's going to give you all the access that you need to the glorious power of the Most High so that you can accomplish the purpose of the Father's will upon this earth. We are not alone. Thank God on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came to the earth and he anointed those 120 in the upper room with cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each and every one of them. And each and every one of them received gifts and abilities from on high. And the fire of God began to burn in them so brightly, praise God, that they with boldness stood up and proclaimed the truth of the gospel. That yes, Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and that Jesus is alive right now. And they began to embark upon experiencing the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. As they went forth, not in their own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, in that day, he spoke of the promise of the Father. You'll be endued with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses. Oh, my brother and my sister, if we could ever embrace this truth and tuck it into the belt, our loins into the belt of truth. You and I are not alone. You and I are not the ones that perform. Even Jesus himself said this. The works that I do, I don't do of myself. It's my Father in me. He doeth the works. And the works that I do, shall you do also. So in other words, you're not doing it. It's the Father in you. It's the Father in me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us that does the works. And what he's saying is this. Get our minds renewed to the fact that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And the God who lives in us is greater than, praise God, anything this world has to throw our way. He is greater than Satan. He is greater than sin. He is greater than sickness. He's greater than disease. He's greater than lack. He's greater than weakness. He's greater than worry and anxiety and fear. God hasn't given us that spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. So the resource that we need is on the inside of us. And praise God, because he lives on the inside of us, we know we're not alone. And we don't have to conquer this world alone. Oh, thank God for the power of the precious Holy Spirit of God, who once unleashed through all of our lives so that we can be effective in experiencing the fullness of the blessings of God. Okay, next, he has already given them the land. He told Joshua, look, I have given you the land. The land was given in the day of Moses, but the land was still occupied by the enemy for another 40 years because they refused to take it. I've given you the land. It belongs to you. All you need to do is go in there and just take it. Well, under Moses, they refused to do it because of unbelief. Under Joshua, he said, look, the land belongs to you. Oh, my brother and my sister, we've got this better covenant. And in this better covenant, he has given us more than the land. He's given us all 
things that pertain to life and godliness. We, we can't let these words of Jesus fall on deaf ears. Listen to what he said. Fear not, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom of God. The kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. He's given us all things. Everybody say all things. That pertain to life and godliness. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's given us everything that he has and says we have the right to use it to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth and to live a blessed life upon the earth. In other words, he's given us so much, our cups are running over. Is your cup full tonight? Is it running over tonight? Well, he wants it to. Praise God. If we'll just receive the things that belong to us. Now, under the the leadership of of, um, Joshua, only a few of the tribes went and possessed the land. Even though it was their land, only some of them possessed the land. And Joshua said to them, why are you so lazy and you're not getting up to get out what belongs to you? That's your possession. Why aren't you taking it? Why aren't you embracing it? And so he encouraged them to go and get the land that belongs to them. You know why they wouldn't want to go? Because there would be a fight. They'd have to go in there and believe that God would displace or remove from the land the enemy. And they could take a hold of their land and enjoy it. Beloved, God has given us the land. It all belongs to every single one of us. Every one of us has an inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it contains within it everything that pertains to life. And everything that pertains to godliness. It all belongs to us. But God wants us to do what? Gird up the loins of our mind. And if it takes 5.7 years to, to think this through, all these points through, what it's doing is pointing us in a direction where we can enter into and experience the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Where we can emerge as victorious, praise God, in Him. And enjoy our inheritance. And finally, the last thing He says, look, Just do what God tells you to do. Even if it is something that's illogical, something that doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter. What I want you to do is gird up the loins of your mind and start telling yourself, look, it may sound ridiculous, it may sound crazy, it may sound, uh, like I said, it's just something that's illogical. We're going to walk around these walls of Jericho seven times, Well, I said earlier, do you want to see the glory? Anybody here want to see the glory? Naaman saw the glory when he dipped seven times. When he said he wasn't going to dip, there was no glory to be seen. But when he dipped seven times and came out, what did he see? The glory of God manifesting in his healing of leprosy. So in other words, there's a part that we have to play in it if we want to see the glory of God in a greater manifestation within our lives. And so... They were to walk around the walls of Jericho exactly the way that God said to do it. So in other words, whatever he says to you, you do it even if it's illogical. And they did exactly what he told them to do. And on the seventh day, the seventh time, they let out a shout, praise God, so loud that heaven moved. The glory of God manifested. The walls came tumbling down. The power of God delivered them from their enemy. A great display of the awesome power of and glory of God in their lives. Well, beloved, what has he told us to do? 
I believe that he is speaking to hearts even here tonight. There's some things I want you to do. And if you'll do what I'm asking you to do, you are going to get placed to a greater working of the hand of God, the power of God, the glory of God, the might of God, individually in your lives, but also collectively of a church body. You know, if we will do the things that he says to do, I believe that God wants to do more for us than what we even want him to do for us. That's just the way he is. Because the greater glory, the greater presence of God, the more effective his work is done in the earth. So whatever it is that your hand finds to do, remember these seven steps. Present them to the most high. Okay, what, what does he want from us? What does he tell us to do? Are you saved tonight? Don't stay there. Get filled with Holy Ghost power. Let the fire of God fall from heaven and hit you on top of your head like it did them in the, on the, book, in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. Let it just enter your being until you are so filled and so full of that you begin to flow over. Your cup is running over in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you utterance. And then you get so full of God that you're so full of praise that you begin to praise him until, as the, as the old timers in Pentecostalism said, I'm going to sing until the glory of the Lord comes down. Beloved, what he's saying is, it's time to adjust even your meetings. Come with greater expectancy. Come with a burning, yearning desire to see God in your midst. Surrendering your heart, surrendering your will, and then doing what with your body? See, the body is going to be in a state of rebellion. The body does not want to do what, what the spirit wants to do. And in many cases, the body doesn't even feel like worshiping God or feel like praising God. You know why? The enemy does not want us to understand the secret of true praise before the throne of God. Because he knows that when God's people truly praise from the heart, there will be God inhabiting that praise in such a way that the manifested presence of God's glory will appear among the people and a great and mighty work will be done. What does he want us to do? Get filled with the word of God. Get filled with the spirit of God. Get full of faith and power, praise God. Worship the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And let the glory of God fall, praise God, in each and every life. In conclusion, he wants us to build a wall that will shore up our minds. And you know what? If we build a wall, Mexico will, I mean, Jesus will pay for it. No, Jesus paid for it. Excuse me there. Who paid for it? Who paid for the wall that shores up our mind? Jesus did. If it were not for the work of Jesus, if it were not for what he had done, he did for us. Let me tell you something. We'd have a lot to worry about. We'd have a lot to be anxious about. We have a lot to be concerned about. We'd have a lot to be frustrated over. We have a reason to let our emotional feelings just run rampant in our lives and be overcome by all the influences of darkness that are out there. But I want you to know something. Jesus paid for our freedom. Remember when he said, gird up the loins of your mind? Remember he said that? The, Peter said that? Gird up the loins of your mind and start thinking the way God wants you to think. Why? Because you have not been redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ have you been redeemed. He paid your ransom 
He bought your freedom and now it's time for us to build up a wall, praise God, that will shore up our mind, gird up the loins of our mind and start proclaiming it and declaring it from the mountaintops, praise God, that we in this renewed mind are going to serve God. And when we do, we're going to see a greater manifestation of God's glory among us. Now, number one, a shored up mind is a humble mind. Don't mistake a person's um, excitement, enthusiasm, boldness, uh, righteous indignation for pride because it's not the same. Pride is the devil saying, I'm going to raise my throne above the stars of God. Pride is a man saying, I could do it on my own. What you just heard here tonight, we can't do it on our own. But somebody paid the price. He humbled himself and became a man and set an example for us to follow. If we want to have manifested in our life a greater measure of the glory of God, which is the grace of God in powerful display, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up for he resists the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. Look at the scripture there in 1 Peter 2 and verses 2 through 5 humility humble yourself under the mighty hand of god first peter i'm sorry philippians not first peter philippians chapter 2 verses 2 through 5 fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, let this mind tuck in your cloak into the belt of truth. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This was the mind of Christ, one of humility. In other words, if we want to go all the way up, we've got to go all the way down. Nobody went further down than Jesus did, and that's why he was exalted to the highest place in the universe. If you and I want to go up in God, we've got to have a humble heart, a humble mind, and walk in humility before God. And when we do, praise God, he says, I will lift you up. Can you imagine God giving you a lift? Can you imagine when the hand of God lifts you up, when the power of God raises you up? I'm telling you, God, resist the proud. You can either have a hand that will lift you up or a hand that will press you down and resist you. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the hand of God to lift me up any day of the week. And so when we walk humbly before the Lord and say, it's not my power, but yours. It's not me, but it's you, Lord. It's what you can do in me and what you have done and what you can do through me. So I humble myself before you and my desire is to serve you faithfully, surrender my heart to you, my will to you, and give place to your presence in my life every day of my life. Number two, build a wall of prayer. To secure the mind, to buoy up the mind, to shore up the mind, build a wall of prayer. Look in Philippians chapter 4. And beginning at verse 6, be careful for nothing. They came out of, of Egypt with a mentality that was full of cares, worries, anxieties, fears, and all that. But he says to you and he says to me, because we got a better covenant with better promises, don't be afraid of anything and don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall 
protect, keep up, buoy up, shore up your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus our Lord. As you and I pray, seek the face of God, pray in the Holy Ghost, we position ourselves to be protected by the hand of God in our heart and in our mind. You see, the enemy can only defeat us through deception and through deceptive lies. We need to know the truth so that we can kick out the lies. We need to be protected in our minds from those things that he preys on. Because if we don't know we've been delivered from sin, we'll think sin has to reign over us. If we don't, don't know we've been delivered from sickness and disease, we'll think that it has to reign over us. If we don't know we've been removed from the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness, it'll reign over us. And you can hear that in people's lives when they talk about how the devil's been following me. He's been after me all week long. Stop right there and declare and decree, uh-uh, no longer. Not today, devil. You have no power over my life. I know who I am. I have a covenant with Almighty God. I've been empowered in the name of Jesus to stand against you. I refuse to give place to you any longer. Thank God for a renewed mind. And thank God for a mind that's girded up in the truth of God's word. So he says here, through prayer, you can buoy up your mind through prayer. Remember when Jesus told uh, Peter and his disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation? Absolutely. And how did Jesus overcome temptation? The same way we are with the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. How are we going to overcome? The same way it is written. It is written. It is written. When he says, look, I'm going to dominate you today with fear. And fear seems to gather around you. What are we to do? God has not given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound, sound mind. I've got a sound mind. Listen, with all these statements of faith, you're releasing the power of God. You're releasing the glory of God. It's like dipping in the water seven times, and when you come up, the glory meets you out of the water. It's like praising God on the seventh day, and when you praise Him on the seventh day because you did what God sent to do, the glory comes down and you see your enemy defeated. And so when you take the word of God and you declare it before the enemy in the face of all adversity and you say, get thee behind me, Satan, or you say, fear, get on the run. I'm not running from you. You're running from me. I resist you. You've got to flee from me or whatever the case might be. You're giving place to the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God. You're actually inviting God to that situation and he will move in a powerful way. The third thing is through meditation. We're going to shore up our minds through meditation you recall he told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may be able to do, observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Or then you'll see the manifested presence of God and the glory of God to accomplish the purpose of his will. So he said, be strong, be courageous, be of a good courage. No one can stand before you as long as I am on your side, he said. So he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to these things. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says the peace, that if you keep your mind set on him, he'll keep you in perfect peace as your mind is stayed on him. There is a battle for the mind, my brother and sister. The enemy wants it. The devil wants it. The world wants it. Wants to control our minds. Mind control is a powerful thing. Not like the world says and talks about, but I'm talking about controlling our thought life, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our situations, the way we think about our lives, the way we think about things that we're going through in life. 
We can go through life like the Israelites did for those, four, for those years in the wilderness, those 40 years that they spent there. When they came to the promised land, God gave them an opportunity to enter in, but because they wouldn't think right, they wouldn't believe right, they wouldn't speak right, they wouldn't act right, all they were led by was their feelings and their emotions. They did nothing to do what? Keep the body under. Nothing to do what? To get the mind renewed, to gird up the loins of their mind. So as a result, they were vulnerable to every lie of the devil. And those enemies, those ites that were out there in the wilderness, guess what? Every one of those ites, you could pick up a sheet on the way out in the corner of the narthex, and in it has all the emotional names. All those ites represent an emotional uh, feeling that a person experiences in his or her life to keep them out of the promised land. Oppression, depression, compromise, and the list goes on and on. All those things are emotional things, giants, emotional giants that will keep us out of our promised land. God wants us to rise up and just say, my mind is fortified with the truth of God's word. I'm going to meditate the word of God by day and night. I'm going to mull over it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to speak about it. And guess what? It has to be the way that God says it has to be. And that's all there is to it. I'm going to get it down from my head into my heart. And it will become faith in my life. And I'm going to proclaim what God's word says and walk in victory. And then next, be single-minded. In Matthew's gospel, the Lord showed me this scripture a long time ago. This is where we're getting to. It's getting to a place of being single-minded so that we can give place to the light of God's glory. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 22 and 23. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be danger of the judgment of the judgment. That's not the right verse. Try 6. Try 6. That's not the right verse. I'll quote you the verse. He said, if your eye be single, your body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil or double, you'll be full of darkness. And great is that darkness that you'll be operating in. And what is Jesus trying to teach them? What is he telling them? Look, if you're single-minded, like Peter on the water, if you're single-minded, you see the glory of God enable you to walk upon that water, you're going to be full of light. The light that we have is on the inside of us. The light is to get to the outside of us. This is the challenge of the Christian life. We've got the glory of God in this earthen vessel, in this jar of clay. Man, if, if you could see yourself in the mirror in spirit, it would be blinding. You need some shades to cover your eyes. It is so blinding. That deposit was made in our spirit. The challenge is to get it from the inside to the outside to manifest into the body. How? Through the renewed mind. It's got to get from the inside to the outside. How? By being single-minded. We're talking about being stiff-necked and stubborn in a positive way. You know how the Israelites, the Pharisees were stiff-necked, Jesus said? You won't even listen to what I've got to say. You're just looking one way and that's all there is to it. God wants us to get stiff neck, praise God, and just believe that what his word says is true and hang on to it and hold on to it and be single-minded. And if we will be, it'll give off the light and the glory of God will manifest. When we gather together, God wants us to be single-minded about our purpose for being here, to see God. I want to see God show up. You want to see God show up? You want to see the glory manifest and appear? You want to see bodies delivered, set free and healed the lost saved, the sick healed. Last one. And this, look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 2.14. 
This is called building a wall of praise to fortify our minds. The enemy who used to lead worship in heaven knows the power of praise. He knows the power of music and worship. He distorted it. He's using it today to destroy the lives of young people by raising up people that make songs about evil things. He knows that if he can manipulate people's lives through, through song, he can control them and destroy them. That's why these songs that, that, that speak of alcohol use and, and abuse and, and drug use and abuse and addiction and all that, that's out there, is out there for young people to listen to and parents wise up. It's out there to control the lives of our youth, our young people, by dominating the way they think. Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Just as evil is manifested through songs of worship that worship the enemy, when you and I give thanks to God, we're to give thanks to him for causing us to triumph. To, he causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus our Lord. As a matter of fact, if we get so caught up in praising him and thanking him for the victory, there'd be a greater manifestation of the victory that's already ours in our lives. He wants us to praise him in the hardest places. Praise him in the prison when your back is bleeding. Praise him when you snake bit like Paul was and shake it off and say, thanks be to God who gives me the victory. Let's all stand together and praise him and thank him just from the, with your breath, from your soul, in your heart, thanking him for where he brought you out from. The realms of death, darkness, the sin and death that bound us, that held us captive, that tried to destroy us, to steal from us and kill from us and destroy us. Thank him that you're saved, that you're washed in the blood, that you're delivered, that you're set free. Thank him that you're in the kingdom of Almighty God, the kingdom of light. Thank him that your loins are renewed with the word of Almighty God, the loins of your mind. You are a breeding ground for glory. Hallelujah. You're a breeding ground to bring forth through your words and through your faith the glory of Almighty God. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins. 
and was raised from the dead for me. I opened the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.